Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month we are discussing Maestro, which came out at the end of 2023, and Amadeus, which came out in 1984. The connection being, they are films featuring very well-known, I guess, conductor-composers, and uh, I, I would also say there's a connection here about dual storytelling, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two lead characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the big one being they're both maestros. Um, have you heard of Mozart? I, I mean, he's done a mm. couple of... I'll yes. see if I can hum a couple of tunes. I might be able to. People might might remember. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. see how we go. Yeah. Uh, he might even be one of the most featured artists in cinema history. I mean, yeah. his music just appears <laughs> all the time, especially the Requiem, <laughs> Requiem, and like yeah. Requiem, and yeah, many different right. places. Cool. Um, please be aware that we will be spoiling both films. So if you want to have them not spoiled, please pause this episode and come back. However, I, I mean, there's not much to be spoiled about um, Amadeus, and I do think Maestro, again, it's a true story, mm-hmm. and I, I have been giving doing trigger warnings with that movie, because it's it's got some pretty full-on content, um, especially if people have lost someone to, to cancer. So, there we go. Uh, William, give us a bit of an introduction to 2023's Maestro. All right, guys, guys, guys. Here I, we I haven't go. done some of these in a while. <laughs> I just watched a prestige biopic about a renowned composer and conductor with a wild ass hair, whose musical brilliance is at odds with his philandering, drunken ways, and whose frame relationship with his long-suffering wife forms a narrative through line. Uh, yeah, these movies have a lot of connections, guys. Yeah. Mm. But Maestro from 2023, uh, written, directed, and starring um, Bradley Cooper, mm. uh, is about Leonard Bernstein, um, the great, well, some, some would say the first great American conductor. Uh, and a moment, uh, or a passage of his life from about, what is it, like 1950? Uh, no, 40s, uh, all the way up to um, his eventual old age. And most importantly, his relationship with his wife, played by Carrie Mulligan, Felicia uh, Montealegre. Mm. Excellent. Sarah, give us an overview of 1984's Amadeus. So, Amadeus is, uh, as the title suggests, about the wonderful Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, a 1984 film based on a play written by Peter Schaffer, who was a, an esteemed English playwright. Now, um, Amadeus was directed by the Czech filmmaker Milos Forman, and we'll get into that a little bit, but it's a slightly, therefore, a slightly eccentric film of a slightly eccentric play. Now, it, it, it um, adheres pretty closely to the biography of Mozart's life, um, but Peter Schaeffer's play, and therefore the film, is taken from a slightly fictional point of view, and the film is narrated by um, Salieri, who was an Italian composer, who was a, a real-life Italian composer at the same time as Mozart, they were actually colleagues and, and sort of acquaintances and, and got along absolutely fine, but Schaefer's play and therefore Foreman's movie takes the stance that Salieri was in deep competition with Mozart his whole life, and therefore the film goes into incredibly melodramatic and exciting uh, scenes of competitive nature and uh, and ultimately sort of accusations or self-accusations of, of murder and that sort of thing. So it's a highly dramatised 
version of the bare bones of Mozart's reality. Mm. And I think mm. even his death is <laughs> veiled in kind of mythology, isn't it? Like we're, not, we're not quite sure how well, we, Mozart um, died. Well, we do, no, we do know that he died a pauper. Um, so that's the, and that's one of the, so, so I'm a teacher, as you know, and occasionally I'll put Mozart on in the classroom and the kids go, no, miss, oh, oh, like that. And then eventually they, they actually shut up and they get into it, um, despite themselves. And I always like to tell them this music is by probably the, the I don't say preeminent to them, but you know, probably the most famous classical composer in the world mm. ever. And, um, and the amazing thing is, and I tell them what we'll talk about, about his being a, a child prodigy and all that sort of thing, but that he went on to great acclaim, great fame, great, great fortune, but died um, penniless and therefore was in fact buried in a pauper's grave, an unmarked grave, I think, as far as we know. And so it's a, it's a, a crazy sort of rise and fall of probably the greatest composer who ever lived. Mm. Um, so I like to tell the kids about that because they love the sort of rags to riches and then riches to rags story and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. It's funny, I, I just came back from a trip to mm. Sydney and over there I went and saw the Tina Turner, the musical, mm. um, which a friend of mine is in. And, you know, you made a joke earlier, William, about these sort of stories all having the same... <laughs> Trajectory? Yeah. Or? yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Tina Turner is you know, is kind of the same in some sense, but also not in the sense that she, you know, she becomes incredibly famous. She's in a very abusive um, relationship. Yeah. She leaves and she kind of has nothing. And then that's when her, the, mm -hmm. the heights of her career starts. Time. It's yeah. a wonderful story. It's yeah. such a great story. Mm. Um, but I, I do think there's, I've got real fatigue around, especially biopics about uh, musicians. I know mm. it's a little bit different to, say, Leonard Bernstein or, or Mozart, but mm. there is all the classic beats, you know, the wife yes. leaves or the partner leaves, yeah. and there's the, the, there's the substance <laughs> abuse and there's the there's partying. There's the, the yeah. adversity, yeah. Yeah, and then being misunderstood or being used. But we really need to do um, Walk Hard someday. What's like, Walk Hard? It's the walk parody. Hard is the parody of Walk the Line. Oh. Um, so Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash mm -hmm. biopic with Joaquin Phoenix, which is pretty straight down the line and fabulous. And mm. Walk the Line, is it Will Fer uh, No, walk it's John C. Reilly. John C. Reilly. Uh, and it is the perfect piss take of every single one of these. Right. And to this day, like, jokes from Walk Hard resonates true. I mean, there's a scene from Oppenheimer, um, which, you know, is a pretty decent movie, but we're... <laughs> Oppenheimer's wife Kitty comes out carrying two babies, basically, which is shot for shot a scene from Walkart. Yeah, it's like, Dewey, you can't do this. Is, is, yeah, it, yeah. is it Dewey Cox? The, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Dewey Cox story. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. One. yeah. And and you know, scenes of his bandmates going like, "You cannot take drugs, Dewey. Yeah. This is gonna mess up your life. You can't do it." Uh, so <laughs> the whole team they've they've started doing all those like, parody their parody TV show. What's it called? Um documentary now mm. Mm. Um, oh yeah yeah and they did one around uh, like a really deep cut around with John Mulaney around Stephen Sondheim mm -hmm. and I and I watched the, the parody being like I don't understand this and then I watched a video where they compared the two yeah and, and then like, you get it I mean, but I'm like <laughs> yeah. what a deep cut you yeah. have to know this really specific Sondheim yeah. documentary yeah well we'll talk obviously about um the truths the facts mm. versus the fiction in mm. i guess both maestro and amadeus and uh, and chat about you know what what was used for artistic effect or you know dramatic effect and yeah i i, th I think what really worked for me with amadeus and this is 
As always, this is my first time watching it in its entirety. Mm. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Did you watch the three-hour director's cut? Like I did watch the three-hour. It's it's a long movie, guys. Yeah, right. A long movie. Um, uh, it's a quick anecdote. The the my, my fullest viewing of Amadeus before this was actually um, this is very very silly, but it was a Taiwanese travel show where um, the guy uses a lot of YouTube clips mostly without their creator's consent. Yep. Uh, but anyway, that's Asian television. Um, but he was visiting Vienna and Salzburg. And then he basically played, what, at least 20 minutes of the movie Amadeus while narrating about the events of Amadeus. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so that, was, uh, that was my experience, my fullest experience up to this point. And uh, I, I think this movie is great. Mm. It's, it's, you know, well-known as one of the, the preeminent masterpieces of the 1980s. And I, if it I didn't win Best that. Picture, it was certainly up for a I, lot I think, of Oscars, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, maybe it did. Oh, did, did, it, it, did it win Best Picture? That was the one where um, Laurence Olivier uh, got up on stage and just opened the envelope and said, like, ignored all the other nominees and said, Amadeus. Right, uh, right. And he was chastised for it. Um, and back in those days, like the 80s wasn't that long ago, but um, back in those days, yeah, Amadeus epitomizes the sort of big bombastic, best picture, music, cinematography, big character, you know, that kind of thing in a way that Nomadland totally Mm. isn't. Do you know what I mean? You can see... Or or, or Coda. (laughs) Right, and so you can see how we've evolved. Or not evolved, but changed over the years. Mm. But yeah, absolutely. But like, kind of what you were going on about, Sarah, with verisimilitude. Um, Yeah. I think my favourite thing about Amadeus is... The truth of Mozart and Sardieri's, like relationship, the movie doesn't care about it. No. Um, so much of this movie is fictionalized, and I think given the movie's own terms, that's okay. Mm. Well, maybe maybe it's not entirely okay, but because as you guys were saying, because of this film, everyone now sees Sardieri as this you know the, this this conniving oh, murderer. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. <laughs> or at least a bitter. And embittered also ran. Whereas the reality is that Salieri was a successful composer in his own right. He taught lots of students. He He was well regarded. So, you know, if I were if I were the La Familia Salieri, I would be upset about the portrayal of, you know, great 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 uncle so and so. Yeah. You know, I was reading he had eight kids uh, you know he was a loving family man and, and this he's portrayed as this this weirdo catholic yeah <laughs> it's like a, i am in contest with god um but like that's i think that's what's great about this movie because it doesn't eschew to the uh the bohemian rhapsodies of the world where it's like or, or even i know you really liked elvis um uh, sarah but like for me, Elvis definitely falls into this category as yeah. well. And then this happened. And then this happened. Oh, you know, here's the inspiration for You're Nothing But a Hound Dog. And it's just, it's playing the old beats again but, and again. Which I I quite like. So, sorry, Jeremy, you're not yeah. going to get a word in on this one. Because when you, <laughs> when you talk about verim, verimilisilitude, verisimilitude, mm-hmm. um, meaning true lifeness, I just have to say, quickly, I'm doubting myself, and I've just Googled, did Amadeus die a pauper? No, he bloody didn't. Sorry, Jeremy. And sorry, listeners, who are all getting on their keyboards to bang us an email (laughs) saying, Sarah, you're wrong. It says in um, the internet, so it must be true, Mm. Mozart didn't die a pauper. He lived beyond his means for much of his life. But being overextended is not the same as being poor. Hmm. I would agree. Um, (laughs) Indeed, in his last year or so of life, he brought his finances into some sort of control. So here's the thing, actually. Salieri aside, because I'm not team Salieri, okay, fine. I will maybe forgive that kind of 
um, strongly fictionalised animosity between them. But actually, I hate to say it, I, I am a child of the 80s and 90s. I grew up with Amadeus, and to me, that was an encyclopedia of mm -hmm. Mozart's life. And so... Um, my father objected strongly, loved the film for the music, hated Tom Hulse's performance with, as a giggling ninny because my father loved Mozart more than anyone on this planet. Um, and it, it, it offended his sensibilities that Mozart was portrayed in such a ludicrous way. And it offends my sensibilities in a way that many of us who haven't studied the actual guy Mozart, we're not going to know that he didn't mm. die a pauper. Here I am. I'm glad that listeners don't know where I teach. They could be suing me for <laughs> telling their kids the wrong thing about this Mozart fellow. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I stand corrected. Mm. So it's like, well, I get why you do it, Peter Schaefer. I understand why. And it totally works as a film. And I still love this movie. But is it problematic? I am a big fan, and I've said this before, of a film being a film on its own terms. Right. And I don't. You, you said the steering on the polling day. Yeah, I don't so. enjoy. Like, I don't find that. If, I don't. That is a criticism that it's not, you know, historically accurate. I just think it's a movie. Like, yeah. if, we, if, we, if we're using movies for our historical accuracy, then Watch that's a the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Even right. then though, right? It's yeah. always going to be an angle. And yeah, yeah. I think that's about that critical watching. And um, did you know, did you know about critical watching, uh, <laughs> yeah, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as an English teacher. Um, but yeah, so I just, I think that that is something that I, I, will, I will never levy that towards a film because mm. I love this fabrication of this. It's the tension and the way that it's telling the story through the lens of Salieri. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. And can we just say, if Murray Abraham is brilliant. And he won Best yeah. Supporting Actor? No, Best, best actor. actor. The yeah. two of them were up against each other, oh. right? which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, <laughs> but he is the superior performer in it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's and it's just has the he, nuance of his performance. I mean, he's yeah. always brilliant. But Even like in the old age makeup, which is laid pretty heavily yes. on. Yeah. Like the, the twinkle in his eye. when There's a line that really knocked me out. He's like, you know... Uh, uh, everyone loved me, and he smiles like I loved me. Yeah. Like, oh, what a delivery! And he's yeah. always playing with his neck because yeah. he's cut his neck. And yeah, it's just it, wonderful. It is quite heartbreaking that whole beginning and that whole devoting his life to God and saying, "I will give you everything if you make me a great composer." And you can see it on the face of the priest to whom he's speaking that the priest—I mean, I certainly inferred from the the priest's unspoken face was. Hmm, that sounds a little bit like pride to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's what God does. You know, he doesn't reward your chastity or your, your work ethic with making you uh, a grandiose um, mm -hmm. person and all that sort of thing. But you can see that Salieri sort of meant well. And even as a kid, a gawky looking kid, <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's heartbreaking. And he's well-meaning to start with and... I don't know, it's a very interesting character yeah, I, study. I, I think what's most fascinating about how the movie approaches this, and I'm, I don't know whether this is from the play or whether it's just, you know, the yeah. movie. Uh, guys, this is basically a 1980s slobs v. snobs comedy. Right? <laughs> like, it, mm. it, the, these, you know, very, very larger-than-life Viennese, Italian, you know, yeah. Austrian historical figures are recast 
as you know the the, the bumbling idiot yes and like <laughs> oh the the stuck up his butt oh yes except that he's Italian mm. and, and, uh, the, and the king being Jeffrey Jones yes and, 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 and nincompoop well, well there you go he's a nincompoop but he's also well, there it is. he's the dean of the college yeah right? mm. he's the guy like oh yes well, Mozart, you know, you're being a, a bit of a, a, a ninny, but I actually think you are correct. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing is like, it's, it's, it's through the lens of the 1980s. Yeah. I, I don't think the movie really cares about accuracy when it comes to costuming yeah. or, or dialogue. My gosh, the accents. We, I know oh, we talked about accents awful. back in Napoleon, yeah. but this, this takes it to a whole nother level. Like Constance and how she speaks. It's I hate like, it. She, she, she's like out of Animal House or something. Yeah. <laughs> and with the massive, massive boobs and the uh-huh. silliness and all that. You see, this is the funny thing. When I was re-watching it for these purposes, I thought, my godfathers, this film has been in my best films of my life mm-hmm. since forever. And then watching it, I was like, Sarah, this offends so many of your cinematic sensibilities. I don't have an issue with the boobs popping up. That's not what I mean. But I, but I do when it seems anachronistic or just stupid. Mm-hmm. And she is... She is stupid, and he plays it silly and all that. And I think, but then every single time the music came in mm-hmm. and Foreman went for the, the dramatic side of things, not just at the beginning and the end, but all through, I just felt exactly what Salieri describes throughout the whole film. And then suddenly <laughs> this music was, uh, appeared, and it was like angels from heaven, and you, you feel that in the film. Yeah. And that is extraordinary to me. So you're right, William. It's this mashup of Animal House and something far superior. <laughs> and I don't know why it worked, uh, but I, it did. I think it, the film also wants to portray Mo- Mozart as if he was like a, a punk rocker. Yeah. Like, like the hair, yeah. the hair drinks, the, um, the, the alcohol, maybe drugs. Like the don't careness. The, 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 the don't whole, careness. Well, you don't want me, just yeah. send me away. The, the, yeah. gr- the groupies, like, yeah. yeah, it feels like, oh gosh, like they're, they're just using the setting as a setting and they want to tell a completely different anachronistic story. Yeah, that's true, mm. actually. And hence having Jeffrey Jones, who mm-hmm. just doesn't even, he's just got the wrong face to play a period <laughs> character. People like Simon Callow are born to play period characters. Mm, nice, and, and, nice. and the other Kappelmeisters in, mm-hmm. in the King's Orbit, they're all old men who look like they should be in that film. But Tom Horse's face absolutely doesn't. Just doesn't. F. Murray Abraham absolutely does. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. I watched this film years ago and remember really enjoying it. I love Milos Forman. I, I mean, I love One for the Cookies mm-hmm. Nest. It's such a brilliant film. Mm. Um... I had such a good time rewatching this. I put it on. I was like Thursday night. I was like, okay, I've got to watch. You know, at least watch but some I of work. this. Yeah, that's and right. And I was going back to school the next day. I stayed up to one thirty in the morning. Mm. I watched two hours of it, and then I was just so tired mm. because I just couldn't turn it off. I just mm. just was loving it mm. so much. And so then I, you know, watched the last fifty five minutes last night. But um, it's just it's great. I really love uh, Elizabeth Berridge, is her name, who plays Constance Mozart. Yeah. I don't know, I, re- I really loved that, and I felt that the two of them were cast as these younger... They do work well together. And contemporary, very intentionally so. I think that's part of yeah. the, oh, I guess, conceit of the film, is mm. that Mozart is so new that he's out of place in this world. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she has such charisma, and she, you believe their love so yes, strongly. You, you believe that she cares about him and his work. And you believe that he cares as well that he is one of those and we've talked about the cliches but it's true mm, yeah. these Philip Glass types these tortured <laughs> genii or geniuses who 
who they gen and and Bernstein. They love their wife. They love their work. They mm. love other people. They love all the stuff, and and it's hard to be them. Mm. You know. Um, well, let's talk about Maestro because I think there are some connections here, especially when we're talking about you know, maybe not truth versus reality, but mm. definitely about what is chosen mm -hmm. to be included. Because I think some of the same criticisms or defences could be rallied against Maestro as well, especially when some people are being like, well, they didn't include his television career. And they didn't, yeah. you know, and it's like, but again, this is a film with a really clear perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you both know that I watched this movie and I was just blown away. Yeah. I went to the cinema to see it. I'm mm. so glad it's right. I did, we did too. Yeah, we didn't want to, I mean, I knew I would re-see it on Netflix, but... um. Or whatever it's on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, and then I watched it again with my parents, I believe. Mm. Uh, maybe much. But my it mom. deserved the cinema, eh? Yeah, mm. yeah, especially that six-minute sequence, which you know where he's conducting mm. the London. resurrection. Mm. It's just incredible. And did you did you know um, they recorded that on? They you know they planned it all with all the extras, mm. and and it's a real orchestra playing it. Mm -hmm. He's really conducting mm. it. Mm -hmm. um, they they recorded that on say a Tuesday, mm -hmm. and they did it a few times, and he just knew that they hadn't really got it. And so the next day they were doing a couple of little bits outside the church. Mm. And he said, right, bring everybody back. We're mm. going to do it again. And so everybody came back and they mm -hmm. did it in that moment. Mm. And that wonderful, that one shot, they pretty much did it in one shot. And it does, mm. it does do some cutaways yeah. in the final edit where it just finally rests perfectly on, mm. on his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, what's her name? You said Felicia. Her name? Felicia. Yeah. Um, it's an astounding yeah. piece it of is, cinema. It, mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. I couldn't fault it. I thought it was all the things. It was the it was all the things. It was the music, the performances, and I know that we're going to get into this because we touched mm -hmm. on this slightly in our group thread. Oh my goodness! I adore Bradley Cooper as a performer. I think he's superb in this, mm. and as a writer and as a filmmaker, and not but and what an incredible man that for his uh, directing debut he cast Lady Gaga, who was incredible. And he put her at the forefront of that film. And in this, he casts Carrie Mulligan, who is incredible. And he makes Felicia the centre of the film. And, I, and, and she gets top billing. I don't know if you mm, know yes. that. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and I think what incredible hubris on his part. And the fact that more of the camera is on her reactions. So we were thinking, my husband and I were talking about the scene where they're doing the, the dramatic performance on the stage at the beginning as mm -hmm. part of their meet cute. Uh, and it's all on her the whole time. It's not a cutaway, cutaway. It's not yeah. like I need half of the scenes on me or, mm. you know, half the shots on me. And what just what a gorgeous way of looking at it. It's called Maestro. It's about him. But it's actually about her mm -hmm. and um and then when when she's gone that that's the end of that pretty mm, much we yeah. don't need the whole kind of the 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 um the postscript of the uh, the continued relationships and all that stuff mm, mm. That's, there's a sequence you know the thing that just gets me but it got me both times and i knew it was coming the second time and it still just broke my heart is that amazing sequence in the doctor's um mm. i was gonna say studio what do you clinic yeah 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 <laughs> uh, where he comes and he, he sits next to her and he tells her very kind of straight up that, you know, she's going to have to lose one of her breasts and, and you know, we're going to put the TV show on pause, you'll be okay. Mm. And she just holds it together. Yes. And he very, he's asking practical questions because yeah. he's clearly upset but trying to, and she just holds it, holds it, holds it, and she just breaks. And I, and I, 
I'm like, just Carrie Mulligan's masterful yeah. work. Mm -hmm. um, there's the other sequence as well where she's having that conversation at the restaurant with Sarah mm -hmm. Silverman's character, who's brilliant. Sarah Silverman. She's great. Brilliant. She? Yeah. Um, and she, you know, is talking about, you know, missing missing him. Yeah. And, and just, again, the camera just sort of pulls in on her face and she just... All the nuance of her, her performance is just amazing. And she there's just scene after scene and it's never egregious. And she just yeah. again, Bradley Cooper cast her, he gives her the yeah. space to do it. And he's larger than life on that screen, and but she doesn't need to be that. There's something in the writing that's incredibly well done. The cliche of um the trope, if you will, of these kind of stories is the wife marries the husband who may or may not be bisexual hopes to change him, or gets upset at the affairs, or whatever. And the interesting thing here is, right from the get-go, she says, I mean, I can't remember the words, but mm. I know what I'm dealing with, and mm -hmm. um, we still have a thing, and I want this. Which is, let's give it a whirl. Right. Yeah. And then, then our, it feels like hours into the film, uh, when she says to him, I knew what I was doing, but I said you needed to be discreet about this. To wow, totally fair enough. That scene, actually, interestingly, you know that it's like one beautiful long shot, which is where cinema becomes more like theatre. Mm. And it's one it's mm. one shot, and it's a two shot, and there's the, t the two of them in that hotel room, and there's the um, parade oh, it's going past. <laughs> yeah. And that's when she's basically like, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I mean, yeah. it's an incredible scene, and both of them are acting yeah. superbly. And that leads me into a whole other podcast about directors who are able to um, direct themselves in their own performances. Mm. And then, of course, you have the, the button on that scene, which is like, chef's kiss. Is that the Snoopy? The With a Snoopy. Massive oh, like no, Snoopy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're you missing know. it, you're yeah. missing it. Yeah. And, and, and just the fact that it is more nuanced and true, it's more complex, because complex mm. relationships are where women say, the guy doesn't have to be bi or gay or whatever. Women go, I'm going to do this because I think it can change, or I think it'll be fine. They'll tell themselves, I think mm. it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I can handle this. It's not a problem. Maybe he'll change. And then you get to the point in the relationship where you go, I mean, hopefully not 50 years in, but whatever. Mm. Ah, this isn't actually changing. Has my um, tolerance or expectation changed now? And that is real drama. Mm -hmm. That is not Priscilla that I watched the other day, <laughs> where it's like, just like abuse, 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 yeah. abuse. And then finally, I'm not putting up with this anymore and I'm leaving. Shouldn't speak like that. And, um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah, about time, girlfriend. Mm. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the, the complexity is what is the, the joy of this film. Because, yes. like you said, it deals a lot with his sexu sexuality. But the, the film opens with a title card, and it's a quote from Leonard Bernstein. And he ostensibly says, life is lived in the tension between two contradictory truths. I can't remember something yeah. like that. And so mm -hmm. that's the kind of setup of the film, is that both of these things can be true. You can sort of be this... He loves her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He walks off the stage to his estranged wife mm. and gives her a hug and a kiss... And it is passionate and you can see they have loved one another forever and that, that exactly both those things can be true. Mm. And it's heartbreaking and gorgeous, mm. you know. And I love the challenge in that scene you talk about where she really, it's the one time, where, well, there's two times where she's very honest. Yeah. And, and, and the other one is the one I've already mentioned with Sarah Silverman, but mm -hmm. where she literally says, um, you know, he's like, I'm driven by love. She's like, no, it's hate. And she's really quite... Vicious. Critical. Mm. Vicious, yeah. But I think she's speaking truth. He's He's got his own demons and he has this facade of pretending it's all driven from this place of love of people, but really he's got some, some underlying stuff. He's... I don't necessarily agree with you, 
And I'll tell you for why. At the time I thought, yeah, fair enough. I don't know what she's talking about, but I'll take it. But do you remember how then at the end she says, I was wrong, you are driven by love. You're, you love everything and you love everyone. Mm. And I wonder whether, as a woman, you know, hell does have no fury like a woman scorned. I think that possibly the you're driven by hate thing was her just feeling, how can I hurt him? I'm really hurt by this. And, and I, I, I just want to be a bit mean and I'm going to put my own slant on this because then she comes round to going, actually, I don't think that was accurate. Mm, because which is very, that's very human as well very and, and very normal in because terms of Because we don't really see him being nasty ever, do we, in the whole I, film? I mean, we see him being the opposite of nasty throughout a lot of it, right? Yeah. Um, it intentionally shows that he and their family, like they're in a really loving relationship. Yeah. He loves his kids. He loves his wife. There's so many extended sequences of them just having family time. Yeah. Mm. Of doing anagrams or mucking around in the yard kind of thing. Which mm. is, again, really lovely and an mm. anti-trope. Because normally the husband or the dad or the whatever is absent, isn't he? And it's always and that, it's like, daddy, like, uh, daddy. Can't, can't control work and right. can't balance work and family. Right. I'm so sick of that. I'm going to put my career first. Yeah. We never saw him or whatever. <laughs> so can I just say the other incredible, well, not the other as in there's only two, but the incredible scene where he goes to talk to his daughter. I was thinking that. Because that, that comes after the sequence where she says, don't you dare tell her. That's right. Like he, she, She's very clear. So and like, and how's this in this out? instance, this, the camera is more on him mm-hmm. than Maya Hawke. What a revelation. She's, she's a good lass, yeah. isn't she? Well, have you Uma and Ethan's kid. Have you seen Stranger Things? No, I stopped it after a couple of seasons, so, she, so I didn't know her from that. She shows up in season three, and I just remember thinking... My gosh, they've done a good job casting someone who looks like Uma Thurman. Like, you know, the whole nostalgic <laughs> yeah, kind of 80s yeah, vibe. Yeah. And then, of course, I found out, I saw yeah. Maya Hawke, and I thought, hang on a yeah. minute. <laughs> I also like how, and this is not meant to be an unkind comment, I like how she's quite ordinary looking. Mm. She's mm-hmm. not this ingenue. She looks like a real person. And yeah. I loved, actually, that all the characters in Maestro looked like real people. They didn't yeah. look all like film stars. Well, it, it seemed like they took great great pains to make them look like real people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um but um so kind of so that scene where it's on his face and she said uh i don't want to i don't want to hear it and you can see he wants to tell her mm. his truth mm. but he's honoring what felicia said but you it was so brilliantly acted the pause mm. was just long enough that you think oh gosh is he going to blow the gaff uh or you know l- let himself speak truth and we know, and it's in the air, and he knows, and it's written all over his face, and the daughter doesn't want to see it. Oh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So when they didn't get any globes, golden globes, I was like, how rude. And I want him to win Best Actor. Although if Killian wins, that's fine, because yeah. Killian's never won, and that'll be neat, actually. And Killian probably will. But I think Bradley was amazing. See, I think that um, uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan... Oh, I want her to she win. She deserves... I mean, I loved Emma Stone in Poor Things. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess... She won't win. Well, she's winning everywhere else. Yeah, but she doesn't need it. Lily Gladstone yeah, will win. I, I, really oh, hope, right. I really hope Lily Gladstone wins. I True. think, I, I think out of win. all these performances, Carrie Mulligan... Is excellent, but I think Lily Gladstone was my favorite performance. Oh, I do, I do love, I did love her in, in, in um, yeah. Colors of the Flower Moon. I, I just think Carrie Mulligan hasn't won an Academy Award, and this is the best I thing do I've too. seen her I do too, do. and I'm not sure that anybody will be able to direct her as brilliantly as this film. Uh, I think, mm. honestly, guys, for Which me, she, doesn't she carries the movie. Yeah. Yes, she does. I wasn't a huge fan of Bradley Cooper in this movie, mm. and maybe it's, it's just personal biases and such. 
Uh, but I found him to be very, very much trying to mimic Bernstein mm. rather than be Bernstein. Mm. It's the little ticks. It's the little, uh, the way his eyes like, oh, um, something about that rang false. I, I don't know. But the thing is, I think the older the character becomes, mm. the more he kind of eases into the character. Mm. So by the end, by the beginning of the movie, when he's flashing back, and mm. by the end of the movie, when he's, you know, teaching that conducting class, it's like, okay, I, I get it now. Yes. Like, this, I, I, I'm fully into it, I enjoy it. But when he's a younger man, it didn't really work for me. Mm. He has this twinkle in his eye yes. where it, it just felt very, very artificial. It's like, oh, I, I've seen all this footage of Bernstein and I'm going to replicate kind of that energy. And um, yeah, for, for me, it didn't ring true. So if I were an acting coach mm -hmm. or a film critic or something, maybe, you know, hypothetically, <laughs> I, my argument, or a lawyer, <laughs> my argument would be this, William. Maybe what you're tapping into is that early Bernstein, the, the person, the character mm -hmm. played by Bradley Cooper, doesn't exactly know who he is. So there is a performative aspect to him because he's living a double double life romantically or whatever. Okay. And therefore, if it feels a little bit untrue, it's because he doesn't yet, he hasn't yet settled on who he is. Whereas older Bernstein does know who he is by then and therefore he's settled into who he's become. Okay, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, is it, uh, I keep saying Bernstein. No, is you're Bernstein? right. We all say Bernstein in this country, but I listened carefully to it, and it's okay. Bernstein in America. Okay. Okay. I don't know, but, but I it think, is. but I think it's because we're like British that we say Bernstein. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mm, whatever. Yeah, like for me, kind of, it just felt like a a performance, whereas yeah, yeah, Carrie yeah, Mulligan yeah. was something much more elevated than that. Yes. Um, and, and it goes along with like the prosthetics and everything else. Yeah, sure. Um, it just felt. As as the kids would say, you know, real real tryhard. Sure, but but Mulligan was not. Um, but the thing was, is, none of us knew what Mulligan. We, we none of us knew that there was a Felicia Montalegre Cohen. So therefore, we don't have an existing Felicia to well, compare to. Well, I, I I guess she's on screen a lot. Like she's been a bunch. Of, like I, I no no I, I mean not, the real I, one. I am not familiar with you know Burnt. Bernstein? Yeah, you Bernie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenny. Lenny's yeah. And I'm not and, either. And I'm not either. But it just felt like, oh, he's he, he's, he, he's pretending to be got someone. Got you, got you. Uh, whereas uh, Kerry Mulligan was like, she is someone. Yeah. At least that, that's how it read for me. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Interestingly, you mentioned the Academy Awards. Bradley Cooper was not nominated for Best Director, and he no. was not nominated for Best Director when A Star is Born. Uh, which is such a shame. Well. It's terrible. I mean, he'll do more, which is great, and maybe yeah. he'll get it on the third go. And if you think about it, Scorsese was nominated <laughs> ten million times before he got it for um, The Departed. I know, <laughs> and that's the biggest disappointment to me. So when I say, "Oh, it would be a shame if if Carrie didn't get mm. it this time," actually, she'll get it on her next go for the body of work. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She, that's what I think. Can I tell you a very quick thing? I've just spent a month in America and we went to Late Night with Seth Meyers and um, we were in the studio audience and Sarah we Silverman was the first guest. Yeah. Mm. So Sarah Silverman told her, because I mean, obviously she was there to promote um, uh, Maestro mm -hmm. um, and she plays Bernstein. This is amazing, Sarah. I didn't know. You didn't know this? No. Don't you follow me on Instagram? No, I'm off all social media. I've been on social media <gasps> well, for the no summer. Wonder. I've just been to America. Did you not know? I knew that. <laughs> I knew America. Thanks for caring. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So, right. So we were in the studio audience. And um, so Sarah came out first um, and talked a bit about being in Maestro. She plays Maestro's sister. Uh, I'm telling that to our 
um, microphone here because mm -hmm. obviously we know that. Anyway, it was really cute because he's all like, oh, your performance is so great, da, da, da. She's only in a handful of scenes. It was really cute, though, because she said, well, you know, it was fun. It wasn't that hard. She said, basically, they do your hair, they do your, the, your costume, uh, you do the accent, they put a cigarette between your fingers, and, and that, it does all the work for you, which mm. is a really lovely way okay. of, of putting it, and I like that from a theatrical um yeah, an acting sort of perspective. Mm. So, yeah. That's cool. I mean, I guess she's a very talented comedian. Yes. And, and timing is kind of the whole the whole gig when, you, when you're a comedian. And mm. that's one of the most hardest things to kind of slip into as an actor, that being comfortable mm. and, and getting the timing right. So mm -hmm. I can imagine that someone as talented as her, she will probably undersell her mm. her ability to <laughs> Well, it's do a larger-than-life sort of character as well, isn't it? Ever so slightly. Like, mm. I, I, I want to mm. think that she's like a New Yorker. I don't know. Is she... Are they New Yorkers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, feels, yeah. it right. definitely feels like right. that. So if she's a New Yorker, then it's got all that kind of wow, wow. And can I just say, Jeremy, you may not know, but we were in New York mm. uh, just before Christmas. And can I just say, it's hilarious. All the New Yorkers act like New Yorkers. <laughs> and they talk like New Yorkers. And they're and it's just ladies. And they're standing in line at the museum. And they're done and we're waiting at a traffic crossing and two people walked across and the taxi slammed on the brakes and said the I'm line. driving here <laughs> yeah. you know there was so much that was like oh my gosh these people are putting this oh. on just for us <laughs> so that we get the full experience but it was true it was so cute have you heard the flat earth theory that australia doesn't exist and everybody who flies to australia is flown to somewhere in the states and everybody's just acting australian <laughs> oh no that's yeah. hilarious yeah no. wow so um, can I say, because, um, you know, I like to find connections. And you alluded to this at the very beginning, Jeremiah, that um, interestingly with both these films, and I hadn't realized when we had suggested these as a pairing, that they are about someone else, but they are told from the perspective mm -hmm. of someone else, mm, yep. um, sort of. And interestingly, they both start with interviews, don't they? Because we've got old maestro at the beginning being mm. interviewed by television and we've got old Salieri sort of being informally interviewed by the priest. And then they go, well, let me tell you about it. And then they take us back in time and then we, we you know, and, and then the story is told. And then at the end, they, they both finish by flashing back to the, main, the character of which the story is about. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. That's mm. right. And um, they, so they both start with interviews and with the protagonist's music. So, um, but of course, the dun 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 which is so thrilling and bombastic, is is very well known. Whereas the tinkling that Bernstein was sort of feeling out on the piano at the beginning, not so much. I know I kind of you know was not a fan of of Bradley Cooper as as the main character, but can I just say his piano playing that was him, right? Yes, yes, because. That's not an easy piece. Yeah. And it's completely believable. Yeah. I think it's, it's him playing, he's playing it, but so, then they've <clears> overdubbed it with the original. Oh, okay. Original. I mean, pro, yeah. But, but like, just, just because you, you see Tom Tom Hulse? Tom yeah. Hulse do a similar thing with harpsichord. Yeah. And, um, and it doesn't look like he's really playing. No. Mm. Whereas, it's like, man, this guy has dedication. <laughs> he's, he's learned the piece. And it looks like a master pianist is playing the piano. I really respect Bradley, and it's the yeah. same in um, A Star Is Born. Mm -hmm. He does have natural musical ability. We know that he's fluent in French, and I, you know languages and, and mm -hmm. music often go 
hand in hand. But you know how famously, I think, talk, talk show hosts have teased him for spending how many months learning to be a conductor? Oh, yeah, six, six years. Six <laughs> which years? Is, well, that's, which is yeah. ludicrous. I mean, that, that, it is ludicrous. But, you know. Shadowed, to, shadowed him. One of Bernstein, yeah. Bernstein Bernstein's right. protégés. And then, you know, basically conducts for seven minutes or mm, whatever. Yeah. But I love that. It's Tom Cruisean kind yeah. of dedication to... And why not? Why not have another skill? Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, both of them composers and pianists, both of them driven and focused. Um, so I just thought I would, I just thought it's I would true, say though. that. Yeah, but there's, there's a lot of connections that we just, we often find this though when we put yeah. these films yeah. together. One, one thing that struck me is uh, how excited I was to talk about these two movies whilst watching mm. Amadeus because mm. of all the things you say. Mm. And I just think there is this, there is this energy in both of the films that it, it, the films are both very confident in, in knowing what they want to be. 100%. And they're not what we're talking about before, which is the by the numbers biopic. <laughs> no. That often doesn't know why it's existing. Because yeah. I don't think we don't need uh, uh, the, the Amy Winehouse film or we don't need <laughs> Aretha. A, 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 which Aretha. Was a pers- perfectly. Uh, what's the word? Um, workman, workman-like Aretha Franklin story yeah. last year, and but it was absolutely beat, 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 and, and then this, great. and then this. It's not, and it's not because them. we, it's, and, 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 and it, just because it's their music is brilliant, and so we want to watch that version of the story. Mm. It's just not enough, and it, it'll make money because there's people that love that. Like mm. I'll absolutely go to a Lady Gaga one, or a, yeah, or an Adele I'd go one. To, I'm, or, I'm looking you know? forward to the Amy Winehouse one, but yeah. the film about the documentary mm. about her Which will never devast- be better. It's just yeah. devastating. Isn't it, it will never be bettered. Yeah. That's right. So, Can I just say, I think Rocket Man did do things differently right. and interestingly, and I know people didn't love it. I saw it at Cannes. Have you heard of Cannes? It's a little film festival in the south of France. And I saw it at Cannes and found it absolutely exhilarating. And in that, as you may recall, um, they use the songs and turn them into musical numbers yeah. throughout it. So it's a bit more... Uh, it's different from Bohemian Rhapsody oh with, the, with the... Oh! How oh, will we come don't, up don't, with this Don't song? remind me of that scene. Uh, um, but I love that stuff hey, because hey, I'm hey, basic... Fred. Hey Fred, what if we came up with a song that goes something like, like this? this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, although Amadeus does that, so Salieri allegedly right at the beginning goes, "I've composed you a little number," and he goes, "Oh no, I've already I've heard yeah. it once, so I'll play it." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's going, "You could go a bit like this," and turning it into a piece of very well-known Mozart. Well, that's one of those classic kind of. Well, speaking of the music, I think one thing I really applaud Amadeus for much more so than Maestro is, I think. Amadeus cares about the music a lot more than Maestro does. Mm, mm. Maestro uses it as, as backdrop, but mm. never for once tells you why Lenny was a good composer or conductor. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I think back to Tar, which a lot of Tar is about the conducting. And we and could about, have done Tar as a. Mm, oh, no, we couldn't because A, we've done it already, and B, it wasn't we, that we, long we ago. Haven't, we haven't done Tar. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, the Tar's an interesting comparison because it's it's a lot more about the power dynamics as well yeah. of an orchestra and the conductor and such, which would be fascinating because it does play into Maestro, but they just 
that's not the story that no, wants to tell. No, it isn't with Maestro and because so it's not his it. issue. He seems yeah. to be beloved of the orchestras that he conducted o- and o- stuff. Although, uh, I, I don't know. I, I still feel there's a pretty grotty power dynamic in a lot of scenes, especially near the end with the younger guys. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, like, Amadeus cares deeply about the music. Yes. And uses, like, the best of Mozart to drive it forward. And the, the, the scenes where, like, when they play, you know... Um, uh, the 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 intro and yeah. uh, a lot of the, pe- the the bits from Magic Flute. Where oh. You're like, oh man, it's it's underlying kind of the themes of the film. And compared to Maestro, where you know there's West Side Story. Here's a thing you recognize. Here's the uh, outro to Candide. I, right. I recognize it's that. It's like a best bits. Yeah, isn't it? and it's like, oh, well, you don't really care about the music. You're just using it. Whereas there's that incredible scene in the Mo- in, in the Mozart film uh, in Amadeus where it's about his father dying and they use that oh just absolutely um, is it from the Magic Flute I can't remember now no it's from Don Giovanni Don Giovanni bom 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 and it is the most exquisite piece of music on its own accord and it's all hit up for him and you know and it's tormenting him and his yeah. father I can't remember. And then it keeps flashing that portrait of his dad looking oh, very, very disapproving. Very <laughs> and that, you're absolutely right. They use the music. Now, can I just say, I've got to share with you my Mozart's Requiem story. First of all, just to say, Mozart's Requiem is my favourite Requiem. Um, <laughs> I think I am the only person that v- I've ever Verdi, met. eat your heart out. Well, this is the thing. I'm the only person <laughs> I've ever met who actually has a short list of Requia. Um, So it does actually go um, Mozart, Fauré, Verdi. But anyway, that's not why I'm here. But anyway, the very famous Lacrimosa, and Lacrimosa is not said in Italian, it's actually a Latin term and it's got to do with tears. So the Lacrimosa, which is the end of Mozart's Requiem, and it's used at the very end when the, the snow is coming down and the rain or whatever, and they're taking the, now I know he's not a pauper, taking his corpse to the pauper's grave and shoving it in there and all that. Now, at the time, unbelievable. And nowadays, everybody, I think bloody John Wick used yeah. Mozart's, mm, um, yeah. or they use a mashup of the Lacrimosa, which drives me <laughs> mental for starters, because I know it so well that I know, I mean, we all do, you, you know it so well that you know when they skip bars to make mm, it fit a yeah. sequence. But in any event, it's now become an absolute cliche. But in Amadeus, it doesn't count as a cliche. So I've got to just tell you, Rewind years, 20 years or more. I'm living in London and I'm at one of the little repertory theatres. It was a Curzon of some sort. And I went to a screening of Amadeus, not my first time. And it was one of these little old cinemas. And at the end, there's the, the pauper's grave and there's the rain coming down on the screen and there's the lacrimosa swirling and the sound was incredible. And I said to my friend, good Lord, you can hear the rain as if it's in the room. This is amazing sound system. And then the film ended and there was rain coming through the roof of the cinema. <laughs> Immersive. Yes. It was like the, you know, the sphere or like 4D experience. Because there was a hole in the roof and actually the rain was legit coming down the front of the screen. And that's why it sounded so... Um, so full on, oh, so I'll amazing. always remember that. It There's was a, hilarious. That, it's kind of like when I went to see Frozen in a blizzard and the entire power cut off and we had to go home in a blizzard. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Elsa>! <laughs> oh. Right, I think it's a perfect place to, to wrap up. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoy our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. 
You can listen to Cinema in Context on SoundCloud, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, as well as give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for a mini-sode coming out very shortly, detailing, I guess, the films we've watched over our summer slash winter, depending on where we were in the world. Yep. But films we watched during our holiday travels. And until next month when we have another episode, until then, no more to mind.